0: Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery.
1: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 725. Let's go to the Nerdist Community Corkboard. You're out there doing stuff. I'm making it happen. Living your dreams. All right, got to set that to music. Uh, the Osseo Theater, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, I'm a dick. It's a small art house and independent theater in Monterey, California. Northern California. Monterey has a Monterey Bay Aquarium. It's one of the best aquariums in the country. Monterey is a fantastic town. And I am, I can't believe that there's a small art house theater there. It's a good community. It's like a cool community there. they got to support this shit. So... They recently had financial troubles. Locals were devastated. uh, And it's the only theater of its kind in the area. But three former employees are trying to save the theater, so they set up a Kickstarter to raise money in hopes to open it back up. So please go to kickstarter.com and search OSIO to find it. Um, Unless they... uh, You know, what if the money was just mismanaged and it's because they were trying to uh, build an art house theater that would rival... The Aquarium. This is like a full aquarium art house theater. It's just all, all, all aquarium plays, all aquarium movies. Uh, but let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. So help them out if you can or, or don't. If you hate the arts, uh, it is entirely a prerogative. I am not your judge, you son of a bitch. But uh, I am also going to be doing Stand Up on the Fun Comfortable Tour coming up in Texas... Got a run in Houston, Dallas, Austin, uh, the second week of September, and then the following weekend will be in Buffalo uh, and then Toronto for Just for Laughs. Tons more dates, piling up, go to funcomfortabletour.com. This episode is Sir Patrick Stewart, who is literally one of the raddest human beings. He was on the podcast um, maybe like four years ago, I went to Wizard World in Chicago, and I moderated a panel with him. That uh, they let me record and put out as a podcast, and so he was gorilla style on the podcast He knew he was going to be on the podcast, I didn't trick him, but it just wasn't an official podcast Really fun episode though, but this one, Patrick Stewart is one of the coolest, funniest people that you could ever hang out with And Matt Myra was there, and Matt barely spoke uh, uh, it was also Matt's birthday that day that we recorded this a few weeks ago. Oh, happy late birthday, Matty Myra. But uh, Patrick Stewart, incredible individual, has a great new show. Uh, it's called Blunt Talk, Saturdays at 9pm on Stars, Stars With a Z. For the kids. Uh, but the show's really funny, and, and I... I predict that you will thoroughly enjoy this episode because I enjoyed the shit out of doing it. Uh, So, Patrick Stewart, thank you for being awesome. And now here's Nerdist Podcast number 725 with Sir Patrick Stewart. Katie, engage the thing.
0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
2: Are you a little chilly? No, not chilly. Not chilly, but just a little.
1: Cool. It's a little. It is a little brisk in this room. It's okay. This room is haunted with the spirits of a hundred years of film and television making. Oh, it looks like it. It is. On the afford plaster? Eh? <laughs> no, not on a not on a podcast budget. But it's. Uh, <clears throat> I I just there was a, there were there was a couple of days where Will Wheaton was going to come. Because Will's one of my oldest and dearest friends. And then he got ill. And he begged me to tell you <clears throat> that he adores you. And he's sorry that he couldn't be here.
2: He's full of shit.
1: <laughs> Fi- a Finally someone is brave enough to say it. Yeah, I always knew he was.
2: Even when he was 12, <laughs> I knew he was full of shit. <laughs> I just can't get used to the fact that he's a middle-aged man. With uh, grown kids, yeah, it and a beard, makes no sense that, and a beard, yeah, yeah, and a bit of a belly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has. At least he had the last time I saw him. Hey, by the way,
1: you still look exact. You still look the same. It's amazing. Yep.
2: You what's know the secret? What's the secret? Well, I say you want to know it I I'm, not, do- I'm not going to tell you Oh, shit I was just confirming oh, that man. you wanted yeah. to well, know Yes, it. You get the satisfaction <laughs> of
1: knowing that I would love to know the secret
2: Yeah Well, clean living Mm-hmm Healthy thoughts Mm-hmm um, You know, uh, um, eating very little, not drinking at all Yeah At all um, Thinking good thoughts Mm-hmm Lots of yoga Yoga? Yeah, a little bit of Feldenkrais A little bit of... You know, uh, what's that thing where they pull the string up on your head? Oh. Alexander technique? Uh huh. All those things. That's what contributes to my uneerily youthful appearance.
1: (laughs) You may not be human, in fact.
2: Well, you know, the fact is, um, I think something happened. What? I don't know. Something like Rip Van Winkle, like. With you? I'm 75. I know. You look
1: amazing. This is Matt. He's also on the podcast. Hi, Matt.
2: Hello,
0: sir. How are you? I'm going to sit here and be quiet.
1: Just so, uh, you, just so everyone knows, Matt's not late. We just started a couple minutes early. Thank God. So I, just, don't want people to think. I need people to know. I'm punctual for yeah. the most part. Matt's very punctual. <laughs> the I, was most part. Telling, I was just telling uh, Sir Pat Stu that he has looked exactly the same <laughs> for decades. And he was saying clean living, healthy mm-hmm. thoughts. Uh, yoga is some exercise Did You do some upper body training
0: for first contact because you look pretty cut in that when you're swinging around engineering
2: first contact
0: yeah when you're fighting the Borg in engineering you have to swing from the uh, ropes that's the second Star Trek movie that you're in
2: That was 20 years ago. Yeah, I know, but you looked great. I mean, I can't remember (laughs) (laughs) breakfast.
1: You were in a series called Star Trek. (laughs) Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the next generation. It wasn't the original one. It was the the next one. Really?
2: There's more than one? You were great in it, too. A lot of people watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. And that must have been during my gap years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean when you were on the weekends on the gap?
2: (laughs) Folding khakis. No. I do nothing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> wait, wait! What? You just gave us a whole bullshit?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little bullshit nonsense did nobody any harm. Because I, I watched, I watched,
1: uh, I watched the first episode of Blunt Talk. Oh, did you? And you? And there's a scene, and I don't want to give too much away, but there's a scene where you're shirtless and being whipped, and <laughs> you look great. I'm not kidding. You look like fantastic. And it's not even like he looks great for seventy five. You look great. Thank you. So oh there's we're just, we're just
0: we, we want to tell you how good you look for an hour. That's yeah. what this podcast is. Wonderful. I mean, look at those.
1: <laughs> I, I, um, look at that posture and those forearms and the calf muscles.
2: No, I I don't know. I think I have peasant jeans. All right. My you know my. Um, you sold those during the gap years, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. Um, Quite nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was a little obvious. I thought. <laughs> I thought we were going for more subtlety. You're the master of the quadruple take. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I have a feeling that, that um, either my parents lied to me, or I fell asleep. Yeah, you know the the Rip Van Winkle theory, um, and in some sort of you know perfect preservation. You know, like when guys eventually when they go to Mars, you know, they're going to go in some cryogenic state. Right. Well, I think I was in that. Yeah. For a big period of time. And it could have been largely during the Star Trek years Mm -hmm. because I have no recollection of them at all. None. You know,
1: that's actually not surprising from the standpoint of, you know, you guys are probably shooting most of the year. You're getting pages day of, day before. You're doing it, forgetting about it immediately, doing it again the next day. I mean, of course, it's all... Performers, especially in a television show like that, you live entirely in your short-term memory.
2: Entirely. I mean, 24 hours sometimes. And, uh, you know, we would sometimes wrap a show early, early in the day. We never ran over into another day. But we might finish at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But... Instead of saying, you know what, you guys go home. You've worked really (laughs) hard. Have an early night, 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll start the new episode. Oh, no, that never happened. No, the director would close up his script, walk off the set, be replaced by another director. (laughs) Okay, hi, everybody. Uh, Here we are. So first scene, and we will begin shooting the next episode. Are you surprised it's all a blur? No, not amazing, though.
1: Even if you had had regular normal days, I would think it would be a blur. (laughs) That makes so much sense, though, because they don't have to put up a new set. Everyone's still in the right costume.
0: Yeah, So they could just bring in someone else.
2: Yeah, just you need the new director. Wow. And, um, you know, the only things that stand out are those occasions when we used to mess with the directors, especially a new one. And we had – in the later seasons, we had a lot of – New directors for some... I guess the old ones were sick of us. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so we would play little games with them, you know, like telling them that we would only say the lines in the script if he rolled the camera, (laughs) but we didn't rehearse. And You're like fucking with (laughs) a substitute teacher. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what it felt like. My personal contribution to that was um, first day of shooting with a new director. We come back after lunch and uh, start a new scene. He'd say, OK, Patrick, um, so, right, so you're in the captain's chair at the beginning. Jonathan, you come in. Then, Patrick, will you go up and you'll meet him down at the bottom of the horseshoe? Oh, no, I'd say, oh, God, and I'd turn to the AD and say... Is another one who hasn't been told. What do I have to do to get this across? I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. It's, it's, it's the front office. They should have told you. I don't do standing up acting after lunch. And the guy would say, what? I say, no, I only do sitting down acting in the afternoons. And he said, "Really?" I see "Yeah." I'm sorry, you didn't know. And you would see all his shots beginning to dissolve. You know, all the careful plotting that he'd done. And he's thinking, "How do I shoot all these scenes with this guy sitting down? He's got to move from A to B." You know, it was it passed the time. I know, but you, you've you
0: you have such an incredible. I wish Captain Picard had that. Like, I'm not sitting. I'm not standing up before news. So he got beamed everywhere.
1: I couldn't tell if Picard had a had a a huge sense of humor. Well, do, you think he would, do you think he would have fucked with
2: people? Yeah, for sure. Really? Right? No, he didn't. You see, he was a little tiresome and boring in that <laughs> respect. He didn't. Riker made jokes. Sure. Even Data, who wasn't a human, made jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, he was programmed for jokes. You know that? Right. Um, Captain Picard, he never thought in that twisted way out of which humor occurs at all. I don't. Recall saying one funny thing in seven years and 178 episodes.
1: Oh, wow. But you see the, see the great part. So you have this incredible power, which is when people see you or they work with you, they think <clears> – <throat> well, now because of social media, people know that you're fun and funny. But you, you, But you could hide behind the I'm a Shakespearean actor – and then people get intimidated, and that's the perfect time to knock them off balance and screw them.
2: Absolutely. As Seth MacFarland has discovered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's one of the EPs on Blunt Talk.
2: Uh, he is, yeah. Uh, the original concept was Seth's. And he came to me, and I said, are you crazy? Of course. I'd love to do a, half a <laughs> sitcom. Uh, not sitcom. It's not a sitcom. No. no it's, it's not remotely a it's sitcom. It's a
1: single camera. It's a single camera yeah. show. Yeah, And uh, people keep coming in. Yeah, I know. This is busy shit going on here, Patrick. We got stuff no, happening. No, she brought coffee. It's a chai
2: latte. Somebody else brought water. Yeah,
1: do you want anything? We somebody got brought in a furry bag. It's a Chewbacca. Yeah. This was Chewb- This is a Chewbacca
2: notebook. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. See, so he's not... Sometimes and he'll...
2: And he they told back. me I was coming to an adult show.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid you were misinformed. Beep, 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 beep.
2: <laughs> Misled. No, not much of a sense of humor. And of course... The good Professor Xavier. Not a laugh in him.
1: No, yeah. not a funny guy at all. He's been peering into people's thoughts for too long. His his brain
2: is too... He's seen too many horrible things. Yeah. And people keep asking me, wouldn't you like to be able to read people's thoughts like Professor Xavier? I say, fuck no. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough having to be with people. <laughs> but to know what they're thinking as well. Impossible. For, for real. No, I just... Slash my wrist in a warm bath. (laughs) (laughs) So, having gone that far, we've got another 55 minutes to go.
1: Remember to go down the river, not across the stream. (laughs) (laughs) But we... I don't know if you remember this, because I'm sure you've done a million.
2: I've met you before. Yes, sir. Yeah, I remember. You do? Yeah. I can't remember the circumstances. The circumstances were... Was it that sauna? (laughs) <laughs> that was the second time
1: Oh, okay yeah, That was the second time Where are my underpants? Uh, but we met at um, I'm, I moderated a panel at a, at a Wizard World in Chicago And your son was on the panel too And uh, oh boy. and it was really fun And we had a really good time And it, it was the first It was a podcast We recorded it And it was actually the first time You were technically on the podcast but It was like four years ago Really? Yeah I mean, the conventions must be, the convention circuit must be a complete blur.
2: Mostly, except for the reunion aspect of it. Right. Mm. That's a great appeal. Just getting together with those people I adore.
1: And you mean like meeting me again after all these years?
2: No, okay. not at all. all right, like, good. Um, <laughs> no, I'm meaning Jonathan and Brent Lavar and Michael and Marina and Gates when she shows up. Um, and and who's the little guy? The little young guy who's now old. Uh,
1: he- Will, William, Will, Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Yes, Will Wheaton. Um, L.
2: of course he was too young to go to conventions when he started work with us. I yeah. think. I think they have a minimum age.
1: You know, I was friends with him when, when he was doing Star Trek. So we were friends that long. And I, uh-huh. I remember, and, and, you know, he just uh, he just he, he just rejected the whole, you know, the whole sort of like, I don't want to be an actor. He just kind of like stomped around the set sometimes. It was adorable.
2: <laughs> he was. I, I liked him very, very much. And I loved the work we did together. Um, we had a couple of episodes when it was just him and me. For uh, We were down on some alien world. In a cavern, mm-hmm. but then that could have been one of many episodes. <laughs> um, and and I was injured, and he had to care for me, and then we were rescued, and um, and so forty-seven minutes passed. But he was good company, and he took his work very seriously. Yeah, he didn't screw about much. I mean, for a what was he
1: fourteen? He, I think, he was probably around fourteen when he started, and you know, I think I think. A, what was he on like fourteen to eighteen or nineteen? Maybe uh, season three, he became an ensign in season. Four, okay, walk us on. through the timeline. Oh, season no. five.
0: Is the first- <laughs> oh, no. Season five. <laughs> Why did he Apple have to three, come nine. in? Season uh, season five is first duty where he comes back. So that episode was in season four.
2: Okay, name the sep- second episode of season six.
0: Oh, I can't. No. I'm not that good. Well, he's pretty good though. I'm what not a dis... That no. Good. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, the first episode is Time's Arrow Part 2. That's the first episode of Season 6. Uh-oh. Uh, and then Season 6...
1: Matt, has the, Matt had this special uh, code called Alpha 3-9 that you would immediately, immediately beam you out of any situation where someone cornered you and started uh, naming oh, episodes. It oh, yeah. It
0: yeah, be anything awkward. It would be a thing, <laughs> though, in the Enterprise, you would, would come in handy if you were awkwardly, you yeah. know, walked into a situation where, like... Frakes is fighting with Marina or something like that you'd hit the button you'd say Alpha 3-9 and it would automatically transport you back to your quarters Oh, and you wouldn't see? have to deal know. with that'd be anymore. pretty good right? Anymore.
2: that would be great see? that would be something like my Fart Finder app
0: yeah? <laughs> you've read about that no please explain the Fart Finder you've
1: read about it <laughs>
2: Thank God, somebody here follows me
1: on Twitter. Uh, well, Kyle likes you and farts at the same time, so he got it from both ends. How did I know that?
2: <laughs> he got it from both ends. He got it from both ends, yeah, exactly,
1: precisely. Well played. Gates McFadden almost hit my car the other day.
2: With a fist, <laughs> yeah, with she's a flying scary. kick, with a roundhouse kick. You know, kick. she's a black belt. <laughs> she's, yeah, yeah.
1: She was dra- apparently—that's all she wears. That's just all, a, just black a black belt. belt. <laughs> it was very awkward. Put some clothes on. You're in public. But it, we, apparently, we're neighbors. She lives just right around the corner from me, and someone—someone someone was trying to turn around. I live. We live on narrow streets, and someone was trying to turn around, and my car was parked on the street, and she came, and I came out right as she was just about to back into. It. I was like, No, 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 wait. And then I look, and she, I, she rolls the window down. She was like, "Hi, I'm sorry, I'm Gates McFadden." And I was like,
2: "Oh my god!" And
1: then it totally made everything fine.
2: Crash into my car! <laughs> crash into my car, please. Will you please sign? And the then we we'll just sign it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's. There's even, Brent is in the. Brent's got a little nod in the uh, in Blunt Talk. He's in it for like for like a second.
2: Uh, he appears in three episodes.
1: <gasps> How many episodes did you guys do? You did 10 episodes and it's on stars. It's going to be on stars. Yeah,
2: let's talk about that. Let's talk no, about no, it a
1: little bit. Yeah, we'll drift in Star and out.
2: Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Let's man. talk about
1: Star's Trek. Yes. You're, God damn it.
2: Well, my personal trek in this has been initially led by Seth. That's mm-hmm. as in McFarlane. Yep. Uh, Ten years ago, thereabouts, he came and offered me this. Role in this new animated series, American Dad, mm-hmm. which the eleventh season is, I think, running now. Unbelievable! And um, and that was the beginning of this world of fun that I had never really inhabited before. And um, he then I got roles in Family Guy, and uh, I play Susie the baby in Family Guy, <laughs> who's too young to speak. But she thinks aloud in my voice. <laughs> <clears throat> She's an infant, you know. Yeah. Um, and then Ted, one, two, Million Wasted Eye in the West, all of that. And then two years, two and a half years ago, he came to me and said, How would you feel about a half hour live action comedy show? And I said, Who would I be? And he said, Well, you'd be a British journalist working with a, a weekly news cable news show every weekday night and uh, he's got a kind of crazy life how would you feel about that and I said yeah I'm, I'm in sign me up and that was the end of the conversation and then we talked about baseball or singing or Something. Not, not
1: baseball or singing. That's one of those two things. Yeah. One of those two unrelated things. He's a
2: big baseball fan, you know.
1: And he loves singing, too. And, he, and he's a
2: huge Star Trek fan. Sorry, I didn't mean to go No, it's there, but, he, but he is. I apologize to Matt. I think, actually, originally he only cast me in American Dad so that he could be nearer Star Trek. Do you think that's year. what yeah, happened? Something like that. <sighs> um, it was so he good. actually, you know, because he's... Pretty well, one of the big guys in this town now. With yeah, done. Um, when we were shooting, I was having a little reunion dinner one night with Brent, and Michael Dorn, and Jonathan, and I think Lavar was there too. And uh, he came in to the restaurant and came saw the table, and I swear to God, he began trembling. You know, like. like and he looked on. he couldn't believe that it. it was perfectly clear what was wrong with him. So we invited him to have dinner with us and he sat down and he sat like, you know, a teenager on the edge of his seat looking from face to face, not believing that he was sitting there. It was charming. And that's... then it got boring. It got tiresome. <laughs> it got tiresome. And we slapped him around a bit. Of and, course. Um, and that's what I think led to Blunt Talk being what it is. So – We've shot the first season, mm-hmm. ten episodes. We air on Saturday, the twenty second of August, mm-hmm. on Stars. Yes, with a Z, with a Z. with a Z. Z, you're an American now. That knighthood <laughs> don't know. mean shit over here, son. Where's America? Well, will you please then tell people to stop calling me Sir Stewart?
1: Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> only in America, <laughs> America, America. Do they call me <laughs> Sir Stewart? <laughs> I want to say actually, if you want to use my title, it's Sir Patrick. Yes, Sir Stewart. I, yeah, I know. No, 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 Sir. Patrick. I literally it's, just. Why said, is it so hard? It's because you don't have those kind of honors no, here. No, we have
0: Kardashians. Closest we get is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is one of them
2: running for the Republican nomination? One of the Kardashians? Might yeah, well. I thought I saw one in yeah. the
1: lineup the other night, disguised as Ted Cruz. That was Ted Cruz. Was Ted Cruz is actually a Kardashian. Wasn't? Oh, he's actually. Yeah. He kind of shapeshifts. He shapeshifts. Yeah, could yeah. be Trump. I think there's a Kardashian living in his hair. He'll just he'll be speaking <laughs>
0: one night, and uh, the cruise, the the C will fall away, revealing a K.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am victorious.
2: Yeah. Tomorrow night. I don't Ep- know when. When, when is this? Tomorrow night is going to be. They're all going to be on there. Aren't oh, they're all going to be on there. yeah. I can't yeah. wait. I know. I mean, could there be a bigger indictment of Republican? the Republican party than that um Donald Trump is a front runner well
1: moment. i think you know the thing about oh, trump and we keep we keep going back to this and it, it's you're a fan uh, I'm <laughs> such a huge fan of
0: well i like the... uh, i like mirrored gold windows on buildings as yeah. much as the next
1: guy yeah uh also uh i love eating horse shit so <laughs> i should probably put that out there too i just i think what's so funny about it is that He's, he's in a realm where he just doesn't give a shit and everyone else gives so much of a shit and that's really entertaining to watch.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, let's have an entertainer. In the White House. Well, I don't know. I mean, we had Ronald Reagan. We did. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we. We had the Bushes. Now that was entertaining. I think think it's funny for the
1: debates. I I don't think. I think at a certain point, if he gets closer, people are going to be like, oh, fuck, I don't know if this is funny anymore. This may not be entertaining. How would he be sitting down with Putin? (laughs) I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know. I don't know if our state. If our State of the Unions and stuff meaning like, yeah, so I told that country to
2: suck my dick. <laughs> Whoa, please, Mr. President. Like, it's going to be the craziest. You know, it, you're right. It would be funny for a few months. Right. And then it would be ghastly. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, the America was the second country in the world and not the first. Right. You know, why are you so obsessed with being number one? Can you explain that to me? Well, I don't know if I speak for all of America. It Come on, I'm speaking funds. for America. Damn it! Because
1: of ranch dressing and NASCAR and honey boo boo. The end. I think it's because Americans are geographically allowed to be somewhat up their up our own asses. Because you know, it, over in Europe, there's so much. There's so much culture in such a small space, and you know we we experience that to a degree. Certainly, c- you know, coastally, New York is hey, very. There's Canada, Canada, there's also. Mexico. There's Mexico. Yeah, also, you have borders. Yeah, there we do. Uh, we don't cross them.
2: Yeah. Well, not legally, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it. But I think it's just we're we're sort of like we're in this kind of like weird landlocked narcissism where we kind of because America's so big. It's just so big, you know? There's not even really one identity to it.
2: Well, that's true. i have traveling around America, and I've been in most of the corners of the United States, not a lot in the middle, but all around the perimeter. And my feeling quickly became one of not understanding how this country can be governable. Right. Because it's so many countries. Yeah. I remember landing in Lafayette, Louisiana once. For an afternoon, I was meeting with a girlfriend who was a writer and she was doing research in Lafayette. And I promise you, I felt that I was on another continent. I couldn't understand a sodding word <laughs> anybody <laughs> said to me. Not a word. The landscaping was weird and strange. All these trees were strange and there was water and, like, you know, alligators crawling down Main Street and and. Everything was weird except for the food, which was sensational.
1: Amazing food. Yeah. Oh, I love
2: that Louisiana food. Yeah. But I got on the plane to leave. I was only there for a few hours. And I was flying back to California. And it felt like I should have been showing my passport when I left. <laughs> right. I, I really – and, and of course, that's just the place. The people, too, are so different. How you can combine under one nation is miracle.
1: It is actually pretty inc- it's incredible. It's an incredible feat and something that you know, I, I just always wonder like long term, someday some-, <laughs> some people are going to start breaking off. Sooner well, or later. I mean, Texas wants. They, to tried, do it. To do they it. Texas tried to do it. Texas tried to do it. They'll one have time. another go. They'll yeah. have another, they'll oh, have another sure. go. I'm
2: sure. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, northern and southern California will split up at some point, I would
2: imagine. Well, uh, but yeah. I don't and know, that means that Southern California will really dry up there. oh yeah <laughs> there'll be nothing absolutely here. well Southern California is
1: always on the wrong end of a war with every other state that, that Southern California doesn't really understand or know how to participate in but everywhere else you go you're like ugh LA I bet that place sucks you're like well I mean you know it's, it's fine it's, it's, there's nice parts to it you just hang around nice people it's like any city ah place fucking sucks people are shallow and shitty what is wrong with you I mean it's like that's, is there any place like that in England that everyone just unilaterally shits all over? Blackpool.
2: Oh, no. Just kidding. Not at all. Um, uh, Essex. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that, would, that would pretty well match. When people ask me where I come from in England, I'm a Yorkshireman. Okay. And I say to them, uh, "Where's it? Yorkshire, I mean, it's only the biggest county in the country. I've been there. You know, when are you going to start teaching children in American schools? By the way, this is Walter Blunt speaking. Yeah. (laughs) This is not Madison. Okay. International geography, world geography. Nobody knows where anything is. No. Yep. No. They just don't know. All
1: I know is that Salzburg is the capital of Australia, right? Did I get that right? (laughs) Yeah.
2: It begins with C, the capital of Australia. Canberra? Mm, Canberra, can- can-
1: can- 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 there you go. Yes, you got it. I knew I was just making jokes. <laughs> good job, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> I love England. I, I just, I wish I had, to- I wish I had more time to go over there. It's just, it's just far enough away, and I don't ever get enough time off. For it's me to fabulous,
2: go. and it, London gets better every year. It's, it was always a beautiful city, but now you can really enjoy. How the city looks. The infrastructure is great. And finally, the continent has arrived. So we have cafes, outdoors, bars, pubs, stay open. That's where I'm
0: going on my honeymoon. Oh, nice. We're going to Iceland and London. Nice.
2: Where are you going first? Iceland first, then London. Okay, I think that's smart. Yeah. Then you can thaw out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a stopover. You stop, you stop. You go to Reykjavik first. We're going to Reykjavik
0: because I want to try this restaurant called Dill uh-huh. that's supposed to be amazing.
2: You're yeah. going to Iceland in order to eat in a restaurant?
0: Well, I mean, that's we're we're going to be there for a few days, but that's one of the things I was
1: like and to be oh, man and wife and to
2: yeah, and then uh, we're and going to
0: London and we're gonna. Uh, we're going to stay in London for a few days, five days, I think, like, something like that. And then you know, I just loved it so much when I was there last that I was like, really?
1: we should go. When Matt and his future wife are finally able to give their virginity to one another. It's going to be great. I really <laughs> hope I can
0: perform uh,
1: the way that you're supposed oh, to.
0: Well, I don't know uh, about
2: how you'll perform in Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> but, <clears throat> Believe me, <laughs> the UK is a hot. Yeah. So it's hot, yeah, it's hot. It's actually, hot. Man. Good stuff, and you'll be inspired by yeah. it. i work, motivated.
0: We're, Big, we're I'm finally, Big Ben's funded into the Thames. I'm finally going to that uh, to Gordon Ramsay's uh, three three Michelin starred restaurant. I'm
1: kind of curious what London is like if you are Patrick Stewart. Like, what parts of London? I almost feel like it'd be interesting to see a travel series where if you were someone that got to go places that not everyone necessarily gets to go. Like, what does that look like? What do you mean? I, I mean, there are no. places. There are like private clubs. There are places you could probably you could probably just go to the palace if you wanted to. It's called Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain. No, but he, <laughs> he doesn't, he's not going into the palaces. What do you? What kind of fun stuff do you? What's the secret London?
2: Well, there is a secret London. I am. I have no part in it. Um, it's it, because it would be full of young people. Of course, I think. And really, that's not my world. Right. I don't know. Because they're not old enough yet to have seen Star Trek and X-Men. Right. (laughs) You know, um, they're that young. Uh, Where would you go? I mean, everywhere has private places, don't they? Um, Where I stay away from are tourist areas. Mm -hmm. There's something about people on holiday where, and of course, there's nothing wrong in that, but they lose their Inhibitions, mm-hmm. but they also lose their sense of good taste. So when you're a tourist, you can kind of get away with anything because you're on vacation,
0: yeah. right? Yeah. And you can
2: say, "I know you, you're <laughs> you're Doctor Spock from Star Wars." <laughs> they will say, "You know, across Regent Street." <laughs> no, no one all counts to that question.
1: You just did the you know. There's a there's a real fun meme online that's designed just to screw around with nerds where it's a picture of you and the text says use the force harry and and it's it's attributed to gandalf at the bottom
2: (laughs) yeah well i don't delve in that magic shit (laughs) (laughs) here here you know and ian mckellen has this long staff you know I, i did say to him you know you shouldn't have that staff it looks like a prop i don't mean a property. Yeah. It looks like something to hold you up, you know. And uh, <laughs> you, you, if you have something, don't stagger around for how many movies? Five movies.
0: Yeah. Five movies. Six. 43 mo- no,
2: hours. Yeah. <laughs> on, on a stick. Actually, it sits. that stick sits in a, an umbrella stand inside his front door. Oh, really? You go out and visit his house and the first thing you can play with <laughs> and I use that phrase advisedly. Well, then what's the second thing?
1: <laughs> it depends Understand. how
2: well you do with the stunt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a test! It's a test! Everything's a test. The House of McKellen is a puzzle box. He is one of my dearest friends. He was just on a couple weeks ago. On your show? Sitting right where you're sitting. Yeah. Oh,
2: how was he? he you know... <laughs> did he talk about me? We, we did talk about we, you a little bit. We touched on me. We touched on you a little bit. Where, which part did you touch? We t-
1: <laughs> on the doll. I showed him on the on the Patrick Stewart doll. You know, we just sort of talked about you guys being friends and running around and being silly. And he yeah. said, you know, some of it. He was like, well, some of the stuff, you know, all the Taylor Swift stuff. We did that to promote the thing that we that we were doing, but we still we still have fun. I mean, it's nice that you guys. I think people sort of. Live vicariously through your your the the public-facing side of your
2: friendship. Which is you think nice. so? I do. I, I, no, I never thought of that. Maybe it's true. Well, you know, if those old guys with knighthoods can fool around like that, anybody can fool around. <laughs> is that what you mean? I think so. Yeah. But also, just here's I think, a kind of free pass.
1: I think there's something human and 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 kind of like people who've been friends for a long time and just like just friends always. No matter where you are in your life, you're still just friends. And when you get together, you just fuck around with your friends. And that's really nice.
2: Mentioning his house, it's really interesting. It's a little eccentric. Because right inside the front door is Gandalf's staff in an umbrella stand. And it was a couple of years ago when I was – he's got a terrace with steps leads down to the river. And I saw these items, these things on the steps – and I looked closer and I saw they were all his awards. Just on the steps? Just And, and rusty <laughs> and stained and kind of the wooden bits rotting and falling apart. All his awards, and there are many, are all out there. Now, I've heard of modesty. You know, you you put your Academy Award in the bathroom or sure. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I've never before encountered somebody who puts all their awards outdoors in the garden. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mine are lined up in the hallways. The first thing you see, you come to my house. There's a step and repeat where people have to take pictures. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, he has many more than I do. He, Uh, He has many more of most things than I do. You know,
1: he was a little tricky. He was a little tricky at first because he doesn't. Doesn't like doing. Now I don't think this is. These are interviews. These are more conversations. But he doesn't like doing interviews. He said he doesn't no, like doing it's them. True. It's and true. he was a little. <laughs> he was a little um, walled off at first. But he completely warmed up. And and it was. Yeah. And it was really. If I had. If I had done this any less amount of time than I've done this, I would have gotten nervous and I think that not, I think mm. it wouldn't have gone the best way. Sure. But I just sort of like, eh, ah, you know, we'll, we'll just keep talking and it'll yeah. be fine. And he was, and he was, he was fine. He was a lovely gentleman. He's a prince. How long have Even you guys...
2: Even though he's a knight, he's a prince. <laughs> Did
1: you guys know... <laughs> You're confusing my American brain. Did you, were you guys friends before <clears throat> you guys worked together
2: on X-Men? No, we were not. Um... I, I knew of Ian McKellen from the moment he became a professional actor. Of course. Ian was a star before he left university. He was at Cambridge. He went to a fancy school. And he was already... He'd been spotted when he was acting with the, uh, the Drama Society at Cambridge. So he came out and pretty, much, pretty quickly he, was, he got good jobs and Olivier brought him into the National Theatre. And I saw his work and it was amazing. Also, he was... And he still is gorgeous. Oh, never seen photographs. I've of seen ever. old photographs of him with like the most dashing. Oh boy, he was beautiful. So on every <laughs> respect, I was intimidated. His talent, the work that he got, his looks. I had. I was bald at nineteen, and I thought my well, certainly my romantic life was over <laughs> as a result of that. Proved not to be quite not quite true, um, but. Then we worked together. We did, uh, we did the world premiere of a Tom Stoppard play, a very short Tom Stoppard play called "Every Good Boy Deserves Favor," which isn't performed much because it needs a symphony orchestra. Oh, well. okay. And that's kind of expensive. they're pricey.
1: It's expensive. Yeah, EGBD, get it? Yeah,
2: yeah. EGBDF. <laughs> yeah, even if you call it EGBDF, it's still expensive.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we we had a couple of scenes, and he was lovely, and I liked him, and. My intimidation, sense of intimidation, grew less. But it didn't go away altogether. And then I saw his Macbeth, which was extraordinary. And um, then we were cast in X-Men. And the first movie was shot in Toronto. It was winter, deepest, darkest Canadian winter. Mm. And we had adjoining trailers. You know, there was this... At least there was then. I think it might have changed now. There was this kind of favored nations deal.
1: Sure. Where we all got the same Every trailer. the same thing, yeah. It's just easy that way. It's yeah. clean.
2: And they were beautiful, too. Make no mistake. We were well looked after. I think Hugh Jackman now has 14 trailers. <laughs> he has one trailer. <laughs>
1: 13 for, of them are for his weights. For, yeah, for his <laughs> weights. Two are for each one. Each set of claws gets a
2: trailer. <laughs> <laughs> another for his massa. Food is prepared in one trailer and cooked in another trailer. His abs now.
1: get three trailers. Yeah, exactly.
2: His smile is polished in this trailer, <laughs> <laughs> and then he's got one trailer just to sing about. <laughs> and he works on his American accent in another, in another trailer, because yeah. right. he's Australian. Did he is, know? yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Australia's most famous son. Thank you, Mel. Yes. Oh, um, who's back? He's, is he Mel coming? He's back. He's back. He's directing again. Yeah. Oh wow. More. I know it's kind of exciting. I want him back. You ready? You ready for it? Oh yeah, yeah. I did a movie once with him, and he was so much fun. And so entertaining and so hard working and I'm dedicated. glad to hear that. Because he got not fun for a while. He got not so fun for a while. Th- that's what I've read. I d <laughs> yeah, I'm aware of that. I didn't know him in those days. But we this was a film with Julia Robertson. Mel we playing the two leads. And I was a guy who shuttled between both their lives, and they were both fabulous. But he was just adorable. Anyway, um, uh, so we were sharing. We were we're in adjacent trailers, and you know, on movies like that, you spent you do spend significantly more time in your trailer sure. waiting to work than actually working. Was it was it, Burt Lancaster who said they pay me for waiting. I do the acting for nothing. I'm going to
1: say yes because I don't know any better. I think it might have been. No, that sounds correct. That sounds correct.
2: Um, And so we had these endless hours sitting and chatting and about all the friends we had in common and the work that we'd done and our love of Shakespeare and our upbringing. We're both Northerners. He's a Lancastrian. I'm a Yorkshireman. And uh, that's when it all began and became something and coupled with the fact that we were always the oldest two members of the cast, sure, you know, and there were kids like Anna Paquin and yeah. you know.
1: running around,
2: yeah. So then we we did this big show, and we did the um, Sam Beckett waiting for Godot in London, and the two characters are on stage together for the entire show, and that's when and we shared a dressing room. It was Ian's idea. <gasps> It wasn't mine. (laughs) He said, and this is absolutely brilliant and very typical of him. He said, we can't do this play of these guys who have been together. There's a line in the play for over 50 years. We can't do this play every night by meeting on stage when we come on. We need to start the play an hour earlier in the dressing room. Not actually start it, just begin connecting. Your chemistry. Exactly. And he was so right. Though his habit of walking naked around the dressing room was at times <laughs> arousing intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see you brought the staff
1: from home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been uh, 15 years. Did you start shooting in 99? You start shooting X-Men? What? X-Men? Oh god, I don't know. It was probably must've been like around time. 99, right? It was yeah. it was it was in
2: another millennium.
1: It really was. It really was. But X-Men was a movie that really sort of brought comic book movies back from this weird place where they weren't amazing. You
2: know, because they were – the first one straight off was about something. And the genius of Bryan Singer was the opening scene of the very first movie. And you were immediately you know, hooked. But it made you think – that this is not a, a – a comic book movie, we're in a concentration camp and it's ghastly and, and this kid is in de- desperation. Oh, my God, he's making the gate move, you know. Um, I just thought that was a, a wonderful way to set the tone that these stories are about something yeah. and about something that in every corner of the world is really important, which is how do people get along? Mm-hmm. How, how do different people make contact, tolerate one another, s- support one another? hmm and, and, two- no, and if we stayed there, you know the the movies stayed there in that place ever since, right up to um uh, 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 days of future past. Of course they're now in the middle of shooting the next apocalypse movie, which I am not in. what the um, shit Norris Ian in it What the double shit? It's hubris, you know <laughs> I told Brian this. you think you can do it without us. Eh? <laughs> Well, we'll see. You know. <laughs> we'll see. But I'm, I said. But also, you should know we're on standby. <laughs> <It's okay>. case. <clears throat> Jennifer starts playing up. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> Fassbender starts playing up. You just pick up the phone and call. So it. if Jennifer Bang, starts
1: acting up, you're gonna you're gonna play Mystique.
2: Absolutely. Okay. I am so. You could, ready? You literally could. To be though. naked, painted blue. <laughs> And the world is ready for it, too.
1: Absolutely ready for it. It's time. You need to take your chalice in the shape of your naked blue body. Oh, chalice. Yes, right. Yes, right? I right.
2: misheard for a moment. I'm
1: so sorry. Um, but it's also well, such a great story of those two characters who had the same thing, had a friendship. And the thing that I loved about the movie was that no one was flat out evil. You were you were arch nemesis arch by ideological default. You both had different ways of trying to fix this problem mm-hmm. of discrimination. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was it. And it was the fr- it was really one of the first times that it wasn't like, I'm the evil villain and this is my... It was like, no. this is how I see this is going and I was hurt yeah. and this
2: is why. Because Ian was the most reasonable villain. His arguments were calm and assured. Of course, that's always when they're the scariest. Of course. Aren't they? Um, and and uh, was it the first one or the second one that ended up in the plastic prison? The that was
1: the first one. At it the, the very end, one. yeah.
2: Yeah, which was a great way to end an epic comic book movie is two older guys sitting playing chess in a plastic prison. Yeah. Um, so, no, they'll they'll do fine. The, 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 the phone will <laughs> never ring. But you are here if. Sure. Yes. Oh, sure. That's important. <laughs> I was actually on the set two weeks ago. And... You know, on on those kind of movies, no cameras. Right. No selfies. No taking pictures of the cast. No, absolutely not. I mean, there are guards everywhere. This part, unless your name is Brian Singer, Right. And then you can take pictures of everything and tweet them instantly. Right. You know. But you can't. No, 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 not allowed. So he took a photograph. He had somebody take a photograph of him and me sitting on the set. And, of course, the word right. went out. And it was suddenly – but – but – but – but, but – Professor Xavier is not in this movie. Why is Patrick Stewart on the set of X Men? Well, I was just there to show moral support.
1: Or maybe that's how you got yourself cast in the next movie. Ah, huh? see, now he's got a.
2: You are so much nearer to the truth. <laughs> oh,
1: that would be amazing.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about that. Someone next has time. to replace Hugh right. Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> You said he's retiring. He's hanging up
1: his claws. i got to say, you know, Wolverine in the last 15 years, because they, I moderated the X-Men panel at Comic-Con this year, and he, they showed his audition tape, Hugh's audition tape, and he looks like a kid. I mean, it's not that he, was, he looks amazing now, he was, yeah. but he looks so much... He was a skinny kid. Skinny kid. And so seeing where Wolverine has just gone from a guy in good shape to, like, just looking ripped now, like, he's... It's it's pretty rem- and he's a
2: big guy. He's a much bigger guy than you think he's gonna be. Yeah, I think he's had some growth hormones <laughs> <laughs> because I swear to God he was not that tall when I met him. He's kind of maybe he just wants standing up I mean, straight his posture. Well, the funny so when Ian, when
1: when Sir Ian was here when Sir McKellen was here, it's America. Uh, when when Ian was here, we had this this long talk about here. He was saying like you know when people want pictures in public and. You know, sometimes I wish they would just talk, you know, just like taking a picture. It's so meaningless. And we had this long conversation about trying to capture everything, you know, with selfies. And I had to admit to him. I was like, "Uh, you know, I was totally going to do that after this podcast. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not going to now because I'm just going to make this experience just for us. And he seemed to appreciate that. What I didn't tell him that was so embarrassing. See here, I thought seeing you guys gallivanting around town, I thought, we McKellen's a he's a larf. He likes to screw around. He's gonna. It's gonna be hilarious. So I had Kyle, our PA, but this is so embarrassing. I had him go to a costume shop and get that der- that derby hat and a monocle and a mustache. And I was gonna take a picture with him where I was doing like, "Oh, hello," and realized really? that if we hadn't covered that in the podcast, that would not have gone over great. Like when I see the ca- the how small the crevice of danger was that it was like the one guy that I should not be doing
2: oh let's do a pic like it was really wow right. I'm impressed but with- you realized it and saved yourself embarrassment <laughs> and, <laughs> but you know he is I'm surprised he said that because he is so affable and cooperative when we would come out of the stage door I don't know. He always got out sooner, quicker than me. Well, and really I would get them. out, and he would be taking, having selfies with everybody out there, you know. And I would say, Ian, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you don't. I don't do it. I just say, sorry, no. I'm, I'm off duty now. My work is done. Yep. No. I'll sign, sign, shake your hand, say hello. But Photographs, no. But he will He will do that, and, and he won't bitch and complain, and...
1: Well, guy, for people in your position, though, if you take one, it turns into a thousand that's, very quickly.
2: That's my line. Yeah. Um, when in public places, like an airport or a hotel lobby or something, I have to say, I do one. You know, that's the rest of my afternoon. Condo. Right. And mostly people get it. It's People are great. They are. I, I'm still not used to it anyway, being asked for an autograph. No, still, but still. Still weird to me. Why do you think that is? Um... It's a kind of false modesty. I say these things to give,
0: <laughs> to, give,
2: to give the impression that I'm really kind of naive. Have you been hanging
1: around Stanley Lee too much? <laughs> it is so exciting to meet me.
2: I, actually, it, is. I, <laughs> it really is. I always get a kick out of saying – I always make a point if I see Stan saying I mean, hello to him. He's because,
1: like 92 years know, old and he's, he's so – He's a legend yeah. and he's so funny and sharp and, you know, like yeah. if I – it's yeah. like seeing Stan Lee makes me go. You know what? I, I, it's, it's going to be fine to be ninety two. You know, Absolutely. like if, if it's like look at him because he's still super engaged and still running around and you know being funny, funny, funny as shit.
2: Really funny. Okay. Can I direct us in the in the supposed to the supposed subject? Do you want to talk That's about? What?
1: Shall we? Yeah. So the Dune reboot <laughs> is that not what you were? <laughs>
2: Isn't it funny? There's a lot of talk about Doom. I hear somebody else, and by somebody else it's somebody really famous, is going to make a second go at uh, Frank Herbert's novel. Is that true? Yeah, I've read it for sure. Um, I mean, I thought David Lynch did a pretty amazing job of, uh, of the first one. It looked amazing. But that was meant to be a franchise. We were supposed to do three. How many Frank Herbert books are there? Five or something. And uh, we only did one. That was my first shot at a franchise. Because I believe you cannot have too many franchises. You need as <laughs> many, <laughs> many as possible. <laughs> and Me you, and all the studios. We're all in <laughs> agreement about it. Listen, if, that. if
1: Stuart comes over and he asks about franchises, tell him you don't know anything. Because he's going to try to get into another fucking franchise. How many franchises? Like, you're the franchise king. There was one, and then yeah, I, then and then we'll talk. We'll get into we'll talk about blunt talk. But uh, j- even though you're in it for a second, L.A. story, it's such a wonderful.
2: Oh, how nice of you! That was such a lovely experience. It what, kind of the fifth, three days, if that, two days. It was just gorgeous.
1: Did Steve Martin just call and go, "Hey, I just have a little thing for you," or did you guys already know each other?
2: No, no. He didn't call. It must have come through my agent. But he was so lovely and, uh, and attentive and carrying the whole weight. He was producer and lead actor. And uh, no, I remember we were shooting downtown in an interior. Oh, the bank. We were shooting, you think, with a bank balance like this, you can have the duck, you can have a piece of bread and the salad. Uh, and uh, he said, what are you doing for lunch? And I said, uh, craft service, you know, in my trailer. He said, no, come with me in Victoria. He was married to Victoria tenant. And uh, I had lunch with him. No director has ever asked me to go to lunch with him like that. I mean, I was impressed that doing, with all the responsibility he had, that he took a lunch break, but he did. Actually, it happened to me once before. The first time I ever saw a film camera, I have told this story once before, so I'm sorry. All right, goddammit. Fine. This is not an original story. Ugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was saving it for you, but. Something get ready, else. listeners, for a non exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, first time I saw a film camera, I was sharing a scene with Rod Steiger. Wow. Who was one of my teenage heroes all the time from. The pawnbroker and um, uh, on the waterfront, of course. And I couldn't believe that I got this little part in this movie with, which was all in the back of a car with Rod Steiger sitting in the back of a car in which I had to pull a gun on him. Now, you remember the scene in the car in On the Waterfront? I can tell by the look in your eyes. You don't know what the hell. I know what you're talking about. You are. Of course. When Steiger and Brando are in the back of the car. It's a classic and, movie. And, 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 and Steiger pulls out the, and holds it in front of his brother. His brother Brando and says, take the job. Take the job. You know? Well, it was a moment. I was pulling a gun on, on Steiger. And uh, anyway, we finished the morning's work. They'd done all the two shots outside the car, inside the car. They'd done Rod's coverage. And um, the assistant director said, OK, Rod, um, it's about 40 minutes to lunch. Why don't you go now and have your lunch? And we'll finish off here, and then we'll rehearse the next scene after lunch. And Rod said, uh, well, what about, what about Patrick? Uh, you, haven't, you haven't covered him. He said, no, no, we're going to do that now. But somebody will read in your lines. Don't worry about and Steiger, who had been sitting down very slowly, stood up and said something along the lines of, "Who the fuck do you think I am? You think I'm going to walk off this stage and leave an actor here with you or some other bloody idiot reading in for him? What kind of actor? I mean, he was irate with fury, which is why I always do all my off-camera lines, <laughs> no matter what. And um, and I mean, this poor—I mean, he was." And Steiger in a rage. Well, you've seen him in a rage in the movies. He's terrifying. And there was apologies. So we did my coverage. And indeed, he sat there and fed me the lines. And when we finished, he said, what are you doing for lunch? And I said, "Uh, you know, in the tent, craft service. I mean, I was nobody. I was nobody. And this was, I had like four lines in this movie. And he said, hey, when you got your lunch, bring it to my trailer. We'll have lunch together. So I got to take my lunch into his trailer and somehow instinct told me, I can ask this guy anything and perhaps he'll answer the questions. So I did. I said, so, um, okay, uh, in in the scene in in Pawnbroker, or in the scene in Waterfront, (laughs) when you did this, I mean, real geek questions. You're fanboying on him. Yeah, that's right. Um, What? Fanboying. Oh, fanboying. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. And he answered everything and of course for me it was it was my first day on a movie set and i'm sitting in ron steiger's trailer it was great well of course and also
1: that informs that's such a valuable lesson which i don't even know if he completely appreciated the magnitude of which is that as you set down your career path you never are going to forget that and that and that is going that's essentially a legacy that he has passed down through you
2: that you would do the same thing if you're the lead in a movie you set the bar and and I've had leads now for years in plays, in TV movies, now in a TV series and you are the standard of the work. You know your lines. You hit your marks. You're on time. You're not sitting in your trailer on the phone for half an hour while everybody's waiting for you. you. You take everybody into account all the time because it's a cooperative is filmmaking and that first lesson was so vividly taught me by Mr. Steiger. Now, he may have been largely doing a lot of it for my benefit. It's very possible. But I'll tell you what, I didn't see him again for about 15 years. And I just just come to live in L.A. and start uh, uh, Star Trek. And I was going to a screening at the I think at the DGA one night. And I went into a restaurant very close by to get a drink. And as I walked I was walking down the tables, I saw Steiger sitting with someone down there. And I thought, Oh my God, there he is. Ah no. I'm just gonna leave him alone. Let him get on with this. Uh, as I was down halfway down the aisle, he stood up and said, Patrick, oh how wow. great to see you again. Damn it, he remembered my name. <laughs> I mean that's awesome behavior. That is I, I don't know your name. What is it again? It's Chris. Chris, right. (laughs) Are you sure? Is he bullshitting me? No, that's my real name. It really is Chris. (laughs) I will never forget now, seeing in public I've forgotten your name. But that was just a little bit of play acting. (laughs) 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 But you... uh... Let's, let's
1: get a little blunt talk now, just so that we make sure that we cover... That, that. wasn't blunt enough? That was very <laughs> blunt. That was literal blunt talk. Yeah. Now let's talk about figurative blunt talk. Walter let's Blunt... talk about Emma Blunt. <laughs> let's talk about Emma Blunt. It's a, God, you know, there's so many other... Okay, we'll get to blunt talk in a second. You said something earlier that just sparked a thought, and I'm curious to know what you think about it, because it's something that affects a lot of people. You said you lost your hair at 19... Mm -hmm. and you thought your life was over and then you realized that that what when did you realize that that because it's something that affects a lot like 85 percent of guys will lose their hair at some point in their life you know
2: but at some point is not 19 so 55 is not 19 (laughs) you know 55 your life is over it's finished you have no more expectations (laughs) at 55 i know that i'm 75 and you know 20 years i've been a kind of no man 's land, the wilderness of nothingness and uh, but I might have been no seriously, I might have been had I not lost my hair when I was nineteen because I got all that shit behind me. I did all the stuff, the comb over and wearing hats all the time. I had a hairpiece i didn't wear it um, you know every day, but I did have a hairpiece for acting and I discovered early on, because I'm a fairly pragmatic person, that if I was going up... Because my first five years of my life were working in regional theatre. And there they would employ you for an entire season. um, 48 weeks, 50 weeks. And so I would go to the audition wearing my hairpiece. And it was a really beautiful hairpiece. And they usually ask you to do two pieces, you know comedy piece and a tragic piece, a Shakespeare and Oscar Wilde, something like that. And when I'd done the first piece, I would start to tell them what my second piece was going to be. And as I was doing it, I used to do this and take the piece off and put it on the floor beside me and do my second piece. And usually I'd find people going... (laughs) 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 And, sorry, I was... Of course, we're on a microphone. I was just doing, like, dumb, stupid... Mouth agape. Mouth agape. Yeah. Um, I was selling myself as two actors for the price of one. It's genius. So this is the guy you walked in. Oh, he's good. I believed he had hair. You're quite light. (laughs) You know, he was good. But now, here's another guy. Think what you
1: can do. How many places you could put that guy. Exactly. But how did you get around? Because obviously... People put a lot of, of their identity into their, like, oh, that's part of, you know, so how did you get past that? And how did you finally go, you know what, it's fine. Because I'll tell you, I think Picard was one of the first characters. I mean, I know there, there was Kojak in the 70s. But Picard, I think, was one of the first guys where it was like, you know, it's pretty fucking cool to, to, to be bald. Like, it's pretty cool to have your
2: head shake I mean, it's kind of cool. You kind of made you made that okay. One evening, there's an area in London, in East London, called the Barbican. It's a, it's a an area that was developed, high-rise buildings and, and affordable housing in the 70s. It's all concrete. It was a brilliant idea, and the Barbican Theatre is there. Um, but one – but it's a bit bleak. It's a bit featureless. I was walking across the main plaza, and it was pouring with rain. You know, that kind of horizontal rain yes. that you get in London. And uh, – I passed this guy who had an umbrella and a hat on, and he was scuttling along under the umbrella. We, we passed one another a few seconds, and I heard my name called out, and I turned around. The guy with the umbrella said, yelled out. He lifted up the umbrella, and he said, Thank you for everything you've done for us, and took off his hat, and he was bald, <laughs> and it was almost like a set up moment, you know. And I said, "You're very welcome," but it was it was horrible. Uh, it was horrible for a few years, and then I saved up my money, and I realized I could afford to buy really good hair pieces and different kinds of ones, so I would have things I could style. So if I was doing 15 plays in a season i had this very inexpensive from the company's point of view way of transforming myself into somebody else so i could play juveniles and then i could play you know 88 year old butlers who have family retainers that kind of thing so which it really was play. about
1: the chameleon aspect of being able to disappear into your work that helped you go oh this is actually an asset
2: no, it was economics. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and and directors got it very quickly. Oh, I see what's going on here. Yes. Oh, we like you. I, you're an okay actor, but I see how I can use you with, you know, that feature. I guess I was, hmm. I mean, I kind of feel that it was Star Trek time when, I fully, fully felt, ah, screw it. I'm fine. I don't need to cover up. But my last audition, the studio, Paramount, had me do my last audition wearing a hairpiece. Really? This is not much known. It's a little known, but not much. And um, so I did my audition and went back into the other room. And they'd brought a hairdresser in to put it on and, she was taking it off when – and this audition had been for the studio, the the TV heads of studio. And they all came into the room to say thank you very much for coming. It was very good of you. And and the hairdresser who became – Joyce Zapata is her name. She worked on our show for years and years. Brilliant, wonderful woman, a great hairdresser. She said, you know why they came in? They wanted to see you without the hairpiece. And the hairpiece never showed up again. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, it's like the French accent. Mm. Before we recorded the first series, um, Gene Roddenberry said to me, you know, this is a Frenchman, Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, I wonder if maybe you should do it with a French accent. I've kind of had that idea in my head. He said, well, why don't we just put something on tape, see what it sounds like. So I recorded, and it must be somewhere in the vaults of Paramount. I recorded the opening voiceover <gasps> with a French accent. And very quickly, everybody realized that actually I sounded like Peter Sellers. (laughs) (laughs) Do you happen to remember how that went? Inspector Clouseau. (laughs) Um, And it was a disastrous idea. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. You know? I mean, well, the starship. Guys, what? Look at you! I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. Would, no who would have taken me seriously. <laughs> Mr. <Mister> Crusher.
1: Ah, Beverly. Ah, mon.
2: Engagé.
0: Engagé.
2: <laughs>
1: God, it's. I don't know, Patrick. I feel like maybe not. French. I don't. That'd be amazing. Just one episode. Just imagine if I'd been French
2: with a hairpiece. <laughs> <would've
1: been> like, <laughs> it's a completely different imagine. show. It would have been
2: Clouseau. It would have been Clouseau. Well, Will inherited Riker's beard. He did, didn't he? But only after the show was over. Only
1: after the he show was over. He couldn't have grown a beard. No, in no, the first no. Seasons. Peach Fuzz. Peach Fuzz. But uh, Blunt Talk, it, I as I said, I saw the first episode. And you're really funny in it, and it's great, and there's a lot of really great actors in it, too. And it's – I don't want to give too much away, but essentially your you're so, you're, your character is so sweet but super fucked up <laughs> and, uh, and trying to barely – he seems indestructible, but it feels like the edges on him are fraying a bit.
2: Oh, very much so. He is coming apart at the beginning of – our series. And uh, he's fighting to keep his show together. The numbers are not great. He's threatened. His job is threatened. But he believes passionately in what he does. He believes in the power of journalism. And he believes in the power of television to do good and to change the world and most particularly to change America. Yeah, that's what he wants. He loves America as I do. But he sees that maybe some little adjustments here and there in attitude might help and he wants to bring that change about here in the united states but he is struggling in his private life which is chaotic yeah
1: he goes through about every drug you could possibly go through
2: <laughs> there are more <laughs> no he's he is not he is not an the impression being given is that he is an addict and he is complete wreck and ho- he's not i mean he's doing a brilliant show as best he can but he is um feeling vulnerable and lonely he's on his fourth divorce and um kind of unloved and so he's finding solace in illegal substances
1: <laughs> and plus alcohol and that too yeah just to
2: round it out, um, but it's not all about that. No. That's that's what people are um, are connecting with. Because that's moment. just the you know, like that's just part of the
1: setup in the first episode. And when a series is new, people see the first couple episodes. But obviously, that's not
2: yeah. It, it, and there are whole episodes when nothing like that happens at all.
1: Yeah, nothing. But they have to sort of paint a picture a little bit.
2: Yeah, and it's it's quite a vivid picture from the very beginning. Uh, and what I love is that. Everybody has been brave enough. Jonathan Ames, who is our brilliant yep. senior writer, executive producer, showrunner. He, did to show death as well. yeah. he yeah. bought to death was yeah. wonderful. And uh, he, he created substance for us. Substance in each one of the principal characters. They're all very distinguishable, quite charismatic and quite idiosyncratic. And we have episodes in which quite serious Matters are discussed and faced, dealt with. Um, The Wonderful uh, Jackie Weaver, who has a husband who has Alzheimer's and he disappears. uh, He and I and Jackie, we go looking for him. Um, It's it has got so many elements in it. And looking at all 10 episodes of the first season, they're like 10 little plays. And I hope. I think our audiences will be comfortable with with that in that we're not repeating routines or Mm -hmm. certain setups that will be anticipated and expected.
1: Yeah, it's not a madcap comedy. It's a a character-driven
2: comedy. Very much so, but it's wacky.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Do you push some of that? Do you're like, I think we can make this a little sillier.
2: Yeah. (laughs) You only watched the first episode.
1: I saw the first episode. Yeah, I got... So
2: you didn't see the big bathroom scene
1: i saw the first episode and a half i got the discs last night okay. and i saw the first episode and a half this morning before i came into work
2: well just as you turned off the second episode you were about to see the bathroom scene i urge you when you go home to me, <laughs> all right pour yourself a glass or something <laughs> uh, or maybe you're a teetotaler i'm
1: a teetotaler you are i am
2: man well um tea then yeah, <laughs> Gee, I don't know what to say to
1: that. By the way, I didn't turn it off because yeah. I wasn't enjoying it. I turned it off because I had to get to work. Of course. Of I want course. you to know that. That's I want to a... make that distinction. Because no, no, no. I... my, my friend Brett Gelman's on the show, too. It's the guy, he's the, he's the producer that lives on the other side of he's your new He's the neighbor with the beard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Brett. Brett, yeah. He's,
2: he's
1: one, of the funniest people, one of the funniest people. He's wonderful.
2: And he comes back. We have a big party in episode nine. And all the people we loved having. Uh, 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 come to the party, get invited. And I don't want people to think that those who are not at the party, we didn't like on the contrary. Of course. We just couldn't have everybody. Um, But there is a scene with Walter in a bathroom, in in an airport bathroom, that I'd (laughs) urge you to
1: watch. Well, the painting scene was pretty remarkable. (laughs) It's like
2: something out of the Renaissance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the great thing about Jonathan Ames is that he has an amazing vocabulary, but it's, he uses it in an unusual way. So phrases and words crop up that are a little uncommon, and it gives a lot of charm to the way people express themselves in a very personal and idiosyncratic way. There's not a line that any of us spoke that was a dull line. They just didn't exist. Every episode, every scene, every speech, we, each of us had something interesting to say or rather something ordinary to say, but it was said in an interesting way. Right. And uh, we all appreciated that so much.
1: I mean, it's, it must be nice when you feel like, I don't really have to do anything. I just don't have to. The writing is good. I don't, I just As long as I don't get in the way of that and just let the writing I, do its oh. work.
2: You are so right. Getting out of the way of, uh, I mean, taking performance out of the way of beautiful writing, great situations, nice conflicts, and and incredibly talented people. Our permanent core group are so extraordinary. They're wonderful actors, and they're all wonderful comedians, too. They're comic actors, improvisers, stand-up, and some of our guests, too. I mean, our our intermittent therapist the freudian psychiatrist is played by richard
1: richard lewis, lewis. and who is a gr- a great character for a psychiatrist oh
2: he i i mean i think every psychiatrist in the future is going to have to be based on richard <laughs> he is perfect but He's... he ha- has some very unorthodox ideas
1: yes but a lovely guy in, in real life. Richard's a, 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 a lovely guy. Terrific. Well, I'm so – this was really wonderful. And you know, I just appreciate on, the, on behalf of people who are fans of you that you're so willing to screw around and have fun. And, and, and you on extras was incredible, by the way. But the fact that, be, that you are willing to do that kind of stuff when you don't have to, you know?
2: One of the best days work of my, of my life was the uh, shooting the trailer scene with Ricky. (laughs) uh, Because I was such a huge fan from watching The Office. And uh, he he is awesome, except that on the set he's a nightmare because he laughs all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And his laugh really seems to cut through everything. (laughs) Oh, totally. I mean, you can't use it in any way. I said, what what, what is is it? He said, it's the letter K. (laughs) <laughs> I said, it's, it's K. It's like, he said, when you say knickers, ah. I said, but the K is silent. He said, that's exactly what I mean. That's why it's so funny. Wow, that's a curious sense of humor. But that was a wonderful experience. And yeah, uh, I think that was the first time I got, I saw that there was a potential in taking the public perception of who Patrick Stewart might be, which is largely based on two roles, Jean-Luc Picard and Charles Xavier. And, and, you know, things that I've done, you know, chat shows and all of that. As a rather upright, serious, um, caring, compassionate man of the world. And as, as extras showed... Patrick Stewart might just possibly be somebody very different <laughs> because I'm not Jean-Luc Picard. I'm not Charles Xavier. Oh, Lord. I mean, it would be great to be as smart as they are and I'm not, but I wouldn't like to be them. So this perception is kind of what we start with. It's, what, it's certainly what Seth started with on, on American Dad. Right. Because he even – I didn't know he was going to do this and nobody told me he drew my character so that he looked like me right it's unmistakably patrick's absolutely but doing these shocking outrageous things
1: in your accent show. makes it okay your accent makes it all okay. You that's, know
2: Roman Malco has this great line in the first episode. You will have heard it. When he says, "No, you're you're from low shot. You're uh, you know, you're a mess. All you've got left is your accent." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and that's another one. We have Roman e. Malco. Roman e. Malco's great playing the head of the network and uh, it's it's thrilling to have these people. we had Elizabeth Shue on the show. Yeah, Ed Bagley Jr.s on the show. Ed Bagley Jr. plays Rosalie's husband who's kind of he's got problems and he's wonderful and brings such quiet seriousness and dignity to the show. I'm going to sneeze but maybe I'm not. Maybe it went away. Think
1: of a grapefruit. Think of a grapefruit. Really? Think of biting into a grapefruit.
2: Wow. <laughs> it's working. I'm a, I'm a wizard of sneezes. It, it's working. Um, it's like the, the mother of a girlfriend of mine when I was very young, when I was 19, 20 told her that if whenever she felt sexually aroused Oh no. (laughs) She should think of rusty bicycles (laughs) What? And a porn star? I remember saying to her, well clearly it doesn't work, does it? But but what a strange thing to say It's so strange I would love to say, Mrs. X, where did that notion come from? Was Dr. Xavier's wife? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> might have been well anyway it's um i recommend it i recommend you watch at least the second half of episode two. i
1: absolutely am gonna watch it because i have the discs now
2: and um it i hope that people will take to it
1: and if you're aroused during the performance of blunt talk think of a rusty bicycle
2: you know, that's a line we could use in that show. <laughs> you totally should. You I have to. I could say that to Celia. Listen, Celia, when you feel an overwhelming urge to have sex with somebody, I've got the answer to that. Rusty
1: bicycles. And then, and then, but it starts having the opposite effect because she's making an association between this. So whenever she's a bicycle, she gets really turned on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the then idea then, of and being and there's got to be like a like like the. Uh, um, the Tour de France, and it's like, oh no. Oh, oh
2: yeah. yeah. All those skinny guys yeah. with their shaved legs. Yeah. Oh, that's hot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All those sinewy bicyclists. It's <laughs> like little wet seals.
2: Yes. Pedaling around. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been lovely. It's Chris.
1: wonderful. You remember?
2: Oh, yes. Oh. I knew all along. You sly dog. Just a little technique I use. With, <laughs>
1: you know, well, you know, will, will has... Will? Will Wheaton, as long as I've known him, has always said, Patrick is the loveliest. He's one of the most wonderful. Like, he's, oh. he's such a... He adores you. And, uh, and and I really understand why. I mean, it's a, you were so gracious, and thank you so much for having fun with us and screwing around. And I hope everyone watches uh, Blunt Talk. Did you say August 22nd on Stars
2: Saturday night, 9 o'clock. Okay. On Stars. Be
1: there. Yeah. Rusty bicycle. <laughs> we end the podcast by, by telling people to enjoy their – we say enjoy your burrito. It's just a, a way that we sign off the podcast. But I feel like since you're here and you have a far superior voice, would you
2: sign us off? Okay. Do I need to use that phrase?
1: Well, it is the. F- <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. It is the phrase that we normally sign up with. But if I'll you want to you- come up with a new one, you come up. You, 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 can do whatever you want.
2: I'll go with the theme. Okay. Have your signing off, please. But I'm going to use a different Mexican food. Okay. Dish. Okay. Because my wife claims that my pronunciation of this word is inauthentic. <laughs> okay. I know it's not. Okay. My Spanish is in pronunciation is outstanding. Bueno. However, it is Castilian. Oh, that's very highbrow. Yeah, and and, and not, of course it would be not Central American Spanish okay. at all. But I would say um, thank you, everyone, for listening to me, Patrick Stewart, on this podcast. Enjoy your taco. <laughs> I was almost Canadian. What? was? Taco. 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 What would you say? Taco. 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 No! <laughs> what? The Spanish do not say taco. I've been a fool for so long. Taco. 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 There
1: you go. All right, now do the Star Trek opening, but with that
2: accent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm called, of course, it's, it's delightful whenever I hear it. I, I love it so much. I don't mean in any way to be mean about this, but... Um, that that, when uh, Spanish speakers talk about X-Men, of course, it is X-Men. X-Men, yeah. Yeah. I love the X-Men. X-Men. And it's so charming. Now
0: leaving Nerdist.com Enjoy your burrito.
1: I feel like I was blindsided because
2: it's a competition show